Thank you guys. That was awesome. I'm so glad we have two services. No, we need one more service. I want to hear it again. That was awesome. No. Uh, good morning. My name is Peter Herzog. I'm a member here. And uh, if you do uh, have your Bibles, it would be great because it would be really helpful for today to open the Genesis chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, uh, just raise your hand. Maybe you're not sure you can grab it again. But uh, uh, please do open to Genesis chapter 3. Last week we talked about who and whose we are. And I want to continue along that theme talking about who and whose we are. But I want to add another W, and that is why we are here. So we're going to look at who and whose we are, but the add-on why we are here. And I'll show you how we're going to do that today. Last week, if you remember, we talked about how as followers of God, or when we look in the text and we see the story of the people of God, that they often find themselves forgetting who and whose they are. And when they do that, they often enter into compromise. And when they enter into compromise, things fall apart. They start to embrace things that are not of God. And when they do that, they get wrapped up in all sorts of slavery to things that are not of God. And so when that happens, they enter into what's called exile. And we see in the Old Testament a few times the Israelites enter into exile. And then there's a remembering of who and whose they are. And there's a deliverance where God comes and delivers them from their exile. And then they remember again who and whose they are. And there's a big celebration of this remembering. Yes, we belong to God. We are his. But once God delivers the people of God from exile and they remember who and who they are, what we'll notice is that the next thing God does is he reminds them of those things, but he also reminds them of why they're here. What is our mission? What is our purpose? So Genesis chapter 3, three chapters in to the Old Testament, we were in the Garden of Eden and God has said, you can eat of the tree of life, but you may not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this serpent comes and says, uh, actually, you can eat of this. In fact, if you do eat of this, you will be like God. And not only that, but you will know good and evil and be able to see and understand good and evil. And so in verse 6, chapter 3, verse 6, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food and was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed, sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, him, said to him, Where are you? This is on page three in your blue Bible. This is at the very beginning. This is chapter three of the first book. We already see this separation. We already see that Adam and Eve, the first 
humans here are forgetting who they are and whose they are. And now God is looking for them, asking, where are you? And then as we know, they are then kicked out of Eden, which is a form of exile. They are kicked out of this beautiful place of perfect peace with God. The word for peace in Hebrew is shalom. Just the Garden of Eden was exactly the way God intended for us to be with him, for us to be with each other, for us to be with ourselves, for us to be with the world. And now that's broken and we are kicked out of that place. And then in chapter 4, if you go to chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Isn't that an interesting verse? <laughs> I want to hear about, like, someone who has a boy, and they say that. I have gotten a man with the help. Okay. And again, she bore his brother Abel. And now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought up to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had zero regard. So Cain became very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Verse 8, Cain spoke to, his, to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is sa'ach to me from the ground. It's crying out. Sa'ach is the Hebrew word for crying. The, the, his blood is sa'ach from the ground. It's crying out to me. And so what's happening here is what started off as this one compromise in the Garden of Eden has led to exile, has led to sin, this murder of a brother against a brother. And then if you read through the rest of Genesis uh, 1 through 11, I'm, I'm sorry, 4 through 11, you see this escalation of sin. What all, will start off as one compromise now has spread to a murder, and now the entire society is fallen. And then we have Noah, and we have, we have the ark, and that destruction there. And then in Genesis chapter 11, if you flip to that, page 8 in your blue Bible, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And there they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks. Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they came and said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And so the people of God here 
are now making a place for themselves. They've separated from God. They've lost sight of who they are and whose they are with God. And now they're going to make a place for themselves. And actually, they're building this ziggurat, this tower, that's going to become a place where God can come down into their city and they can provide for God's needs so that God can bless them. That's the whole thing. That's the whole attitude going on here. This is an empire that we're building with bricks for ourselves. And it looks spiritual, it looks holy, it looks amazing, it looks like it's for God, but really it's for us. And then, through Genesis, the rest of Genesis, we meet uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And they're, they're not significant, so we're going to pass through them. No, I'm just kidding. We are, we are going to pass through. They, they, they are significant, but I want to get to Exodus. Because I want to spend... The majority of the time in Exodus. Because Exodus is central. Central to the story. Central to what God is doing. And central to understanding who we are and who we are and why we're here. Exodus chapter 1. Now the people of God, the Israelites, are in Israel. And so in verse 8, it says this. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. They can't, ah, these people, they just keep multiplying and spreading, ah. So they ruthlessly made for the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work of the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So here we find ourselves in Exodus. Again, Genesis chapter 1, there's a compromise. Then there's a murder. Then there's there's sin that spreads throughout the whole civilization, all of society. In fact, throughout the Bible, sin is referred to as yeast. Sin has like a yeast characteristic to it. We're just a little bit of it. It just spreads to the whole lump. It just, it saturates everything. And so we see that little sin spread, spread all the way through Genesis 11. It messes with our whole mentality of how we approach God. And now we see this, mag- this massive example of sin playing itself out here in Egypt, where the people of God are now in slavery Building an empire for Pharaoh, brick by brick by brick. It is sin, it is self-focused, it is selfish ambition at a massive scale. Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, let's go to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3. Enters Moses. Verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire 
out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will stop here. I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight. Why is this bush not burned? It just keeps burning, but it's not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And then he said, don't come here, don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then, listen to this, verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their sarach. Because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a land that is uh, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people, the, the, the sack of the, of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God hears the cry of his people. He hears the sa'ach of his people. It started in Genesis 4. He heard the cry of Abel's blood. And he hears the cry of his people in Egypt. And he's like, I am going to do something about it because that's who I am. That's who I am. Egypt. Egypt is this massive example of sin at scale. Yeast that has spread and become this massive empire. It's causing human suffering. The people of God are crying out to God. But God here steps in. in. He steps into this place, this place of anti-kingdom. He steps into this place where people are are not following uh, his ways, yet he doesn't ignore them. He doesn't abandon them. He hears their cry, and he sees his people's affliction. And like I said, this is anti-kingdom. This is, Egypt is an example of how the world works against God's wishes. Imagine, imagine a little girl who was born into slavery and sees this man who's been working all day long. Because that's what they did. When they were slaves, they would work all day long. No breaks. Brick by brick by brick. All that matters is how many bricks that you made. And so this little girl sees this man who's wounded. And she says, she says, what happened to you? And he's like, I'm not meeting my quota. I'm not meeting my quota, and therefore I have to go get my own straw now and make double my quota. And if I don't, I get beaten. And you know why I get beaten? Because if I, get be- because if I don't meet my quota, then my boss doesn't meet his quota. And if he doesn't meet his quota, he gets beaten. And if his boss doesn't make his quota, He gets beaten as well. This is Egypt. The people of God have become objects 
resources, slaves. This this sin that started in Genesis chapter 1, where we determine what's good and bad, has spread like yeast to Egypt at scale. And now the people of God are suffering as slaves, not as humans, but as resources, as objects, under this massive hierarchical structure with Pharaoh at the top. All that matters is productivity. All that matters is efficiency. All that matters is hitting your quota. All that matters is how many bricks did you make today and making sure your boss is happy, making sure his boss is happy, making sure her boss is happy, making sure all the way up the line we're hitting our quota. This is Egypt, and this is anti-kingdom. This is not how God intended things to be. And so, praise God for Exodus. Praise God for this liberation that this book represents. Praise God that God picked Moses and said, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and you are going to show Pharaoh who I am. And Pharaoh does, God, God does this through Moses, and then Pharaoh releases the Israelites. We know this. They follow a pillar of fire. They go through the Red Sea, and now they're on the other side of the Red Sea, and they're dancing on the shores of the Red Sea because they are liberated, and they're free. And this is not the end, but rather the beginning. This is the beginning of what God does through all, all of human history. And then he does something amazing. Because you see, in Genesis, all the way through Genesis up until this point, God has been dealing with individual people. He's dealing with Adam and Eve. He's been dealing with Noah. He's been dealing with Abraham. And now he's dealing through Moses, but he's actually going to speak to the, all the people at Mount Sinai. There's this massive gap, and he's going to speak finally to the people. God was saying to the people, to Adam, where are you? And now God's going to do something about it. He's going to start the reversal of Eden right here. He's going to let them know who they are and whose they are and why they're here. So go to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19 is just page 60 in your blue Bible. Exodus 19 verse 4. And God is speaking to the people here. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. But stop there for a second. The liberation, the deliverance from Egypt was a gift. The people of God were crying out, free us, God, help us. And God came and he freed them. And it's grace. It's a gift. When you look at what happened throughout Genesis, the people of God did not deserve to be freed. But he stepped in and freed them as a gift. It's all grace. All grace. Verse 5. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the people, for all the earth is mine. 
So God right here is answering this question. Who am I and whose am I? He's saying, you are my treasured possession. That takes our breath away, doesn't it? The creator of the universe who started everything, who created physics, who created this entire planet, who created everything, who created love and music and art and the days and the the 24-hour days and the year and all these amazing things that we see around us. That God says, you are my treasured possession. And maybe for some of you today, that's where the sermon ends, and you need to focus on that and remember that. You are my treasured possession. He also uses the word bereath. I'm so good with my Hebrew. I had to look it up and play it on, online. The, how do you pronounce things? Probably still got it wrong. But bereath is this word for covenant. It's a business term. It's a legal term. But it's also a marriage term. And I just, the last few weeks as I've been thinking about preaching, it's just this reminder that the nature of the relationship that God wants to have with us is one of a marriage. That type of relationship, a good and holy marriage. We're not just soldiers. He wants sons and daughters. He wants a bride. He wants intimacy with us. The kind of intimacy that he intended in Eden, where we could be naked with him, which means we could be fully visible to him, not afraid, not covering up. Where we could, we could be with him fully and not hide. Where God's saying, where are you? He wants intimacy with us, that of a marriage. He wants a deep relationship with us. You are a treasured possession. That is who you are, and that, and that is whose you are. I love when God speaks to Abraham how he says this phrase, and I think we should think about it all the time. I am yours, and you are what? You are mine. The creator of the universe, the God who started it all, says, I am yours, and you are mine. You are my treasured possession. And then he talks about why we are here. That's the main point for today, and it's this. Verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. A priest is someone who mediates between the divine and humanity. It's someone who stands in the gap. It's someone who represents, and at those times, the God, right? Because there were priests for other gods. A priest was someone who would represent God and show the world what God is like. And so the mission that God gives to his people right here at Sinai, after delivering them from Pharaoh, is this, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. That's my mission for you. I want you to show the world what I am like. And then he says, I want you to be a holy nation. I want you to be a holy nation. You see how this whole world is built upon greed, 
and violence and abusive power. That's what we see. We see that in Egypt. It's anti-kingdom. Organizations and powers that run off greed, that run off, king, that run off, off injustice, that run off of abusive power and violence are anti-kingdom. And God calls his people to be a holy nation. One that runs off of compassion and justice and love for neighbor. That is our mission. To be a people amongst a world that is off track, living for themselves, living and doing whatever it can take to get me ahead. We need to become the people who are compassionate, who are people of justice, and people who love and care for their neighbor. That's the mission. And then he does this. He, talk, he gives them the Ten Commandments. Now, when I read the Ten Commandments, and I don't know about you, it's kind of like, eh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I'm supposed it should be said, right? It's like, it's a little dry in some ways. It's a little, bit, it's a little, sta- little, little uh, cold, maybe, when you read it. But when you read it in the context of, a, of someone who just came out of slavery, like, think about it. If you were an Israelite and you were in slavery for, some, for hundreds of years, so they, some say it was like 230 years, others say it was like 430, there's kind of some debates. Doesn't matter. If you're in slavery under Pharaoh for several hundred years, a few hundred years, whatever it was, that leaves a mark, doesn't it? Think about what impact that would have on you. How you'd think about yourself. How you think about the world. Your perspective. Like, a few hundred years of hard slavery, working every single day, no breaks, making bricks. All that matters is bricks. All that matters was bricks. All that matters is pleasing your taskmaster every day for hundreds of years. And then the Ten Commandments come to you. After God just said, you are my treasure possession, I want you to be a kingdom of priests, I want you to be a holy nation, and then he says this. He says this, verse 2, I'm just going to read it. Chapter 20, verse 2. Chapter 20, verse 2, 61, Blue Bible. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and you shall have no other gods before me. Stop for a second. Now, the basics of here is like, don't worship gods that don't exist, okay? There, like that's just kind of basic, right? But if you look at it through the eyes of an Israelite who's been in slavery for, for hundreds of years, he's like this, don't forget me. Don't forget your story. Don't forget how I am the God who delivered you from Egypt, from slavery. Don't forget. Because if you forget, you may end up in slavery again. Or you may end up as another Pharaoh. And that happens. Both of those things. We could go into that and look at that. But that's, that's what happens. Don't forget me. Don't forget your story. Because there are ramifications. Look at Genesis 1 and the ramification of forgetting there and what happened. Significant ramifications. Have no other gods before me. Look at the next commandment. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image. Stop for a second. Don't make yourself an idol. At that time, the other gods were represented by these physical idols. That would show you what the god was like, this physical idol. 
God doesn't need any idols. He doesn't need carved images. Why? He's got us. We are the ones who are the images of God. We represent what God is like. He doesn't need carved ones. He's got us. That's his strategy. So don't have any carved ones. Let's look at the next. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord your God will not hold him guiltless, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So we could take this verse as like, okay, when I, when I text you OMG, I mean oh my gosh, okay? I thought that'd be funnier, but... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're so concerned. I don't want to say, oh my, you know, because that's, that's breaking the Ten Commandments, right? And it is, right? To a degree, that is, right? But I think there's more here. God is saying to an Israelite who just spent a few hundred years in slavery, your words now matter. Your words now matter. You know, just a few weeks ago, your words meant nothing. You were a slave. Your words matter. You carry me into every situation you find yourself. You represent me as my priest, as a holy nation. Your words matter. Next, next commandment. This is one that's my favorite. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. What? You're an Israelite who's been in slavery for 200 plus years with no breaks, all bricks. And God says this, on the Sabbath you shall not do any work. What? Neither you or your son or your daughter, your male servants, your female servants, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Keep the Sabbath holy. If you were an Israelite who has been in slavery for over 200 years, how would that hit you? be great news. But there's more to this. So that, we rem- so that the Israelites would remember. Do you remember your slavery? Do you remember where you were delivered from? Do you remember? Do you remember? Don't forget. Don't forget your freedom, your deliverance. I want to look at a couple other, just a couple, couple of the laws here. Um, just Let's get out of the Ten Commandments for just a moment. Uh, if you go to Exodus chapter 22, verse 21. He's talking about what it means to be a holy nation, what it means to have a different uh, value system than the world. Chapter 22, verse 21, it's on page 63. He says this, you shall not wrong a sojourner. That word sojourner, it can also mean stranger, it can mean alien, foreign person, foreign, foreign, someone from a foreign nation. You shall not be wrong a stranger, an alien, a sojourner, or oppress him. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, and they sarach out to me, 
I will surely hear their sarach, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. Is God clear? This is what God wants. He wants the people of God to be compassionate, to seek justice, to show love to the sojourner, to not mistreat anyone, especially those who are poor, the widow, the fatherless child, those who do not have. And if you mistreat them, God hears their cry. And you don't want to be the oppressor on the day that God hears the cry of the oppressed. Twenty-five, Verse 25, if you lend money to any of my people with you who are poor, you shall not act like a bank, a moneylender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. If you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, <laughs> you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? I love this. God cares about what, what clothes, what covering someone has when they sleep. And if he cries to me, if he sarocks to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Do not be the oppressor when the oppressed cry out. Rather, be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, one marked by compassion, justice, and love of neighbor. The bottom line here is that God is looking for a body. He's looking for hands and feet. He's saying, you are my treasure possession. I am yours and you are mine. And you are called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's your mission. I'm inviting you into this. I'm searching for people to enter into this. Whatever happened to you, where you were saved from your slavery, from whatever oppression was in your life, whatever happened to you, whatever I did for you, go make that happen for others. Be my priest, where you enter into places of pain and hurt, where there is a massive gap between God and that person. Be the mediator. Jump in. Sometimes we pray and we ask God, to do something about something, that we see a problem. And that's right, we should pray for that. And sometimes God, I think, responds with this. You do it. You do it. Yeah, I do miracles. God's like, I do miracles. I will do miracles. I will, I will do all sorts of crazy things. But you know what? I want you to do it. You step in the situation. You are my priest. You're my representation. You're a holy nation marked by compassion and justice, and love of neighbor. <clears throat> one more chapter, one more section, and then we'll start wrapping this up. Uh, go to Isaiah. Isaiah 58. Because what I want to talk about now a little bit, just to get to come to an end, is talk a little bit about our worship. 
talk about what it means to be worshipers. Isaiah 58, 6, 10, 17 in the Blue Bible. 617, page 617 in the Blue Bible. I want to talk about worship. I'm going to show you this fascinating passage that's been cutting me to the core this week. Fifty-eight, verse one says this, and this is what's happening. The prophet is speaking to the people of God. They just, they actually, they just got out of exile from Babylon here, and they're starting to forget again. And so the, the prophet's calling them back, and he says this: "Cry aloud! Don't hold back! Lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression. Show them their sin. To the house of Jacob, their sins." Here's what here's what he calls out. Yet they seek me daily. And delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. See, in verse 2 he's saying, they look so spiritual. The people of God look like they're doing all, they, they seek me daily. They delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of God. They ask of me righteous judgments. God, will you please do, will you please give us just, uh, uh, justice? And they delight to draw near God. And then he's quoting the Israelites. He says this, why have we fasted and we don't see you, God? Why don't we see you? Why have we humbled ourselves and yet you don't seem to acknowledge it? You don't even seem to know about it, God. And God responds, behold, <clears throat> in the day of your fast, in the day of the your worship and, and your, your amazing spiritual outpouring to me, you are actually seeking your own pleasure. And you oppress all your workers. Stop for a second. So yesterday, I was wearing this sweatshirt. And I was preparing to preach. And I'm like looking at this going, it says, work harder. I got this from a YouTuber. I actually bought merch from a YouTuber. I'm guilty. This guy named Casey Neistat. He's one of like kind of the, some original pioneer with YouTube in some ways. Guy would work so hard, and he built up this huge audience, which I hear is like the number one thing that teenagers want today, like they aspire to be, right? An influencer. Anyway, so but the whole ethos is this: work harder, and it's pervasive in our society. I, I hear people like. Gary Vaynerchuk, who's become this, this big name in like, you know, building a company and building your empire. Or Tim Ferriss, becoming like the most productive person imaginable, the four-hour work week or something like that, right? And this whole idea of work harder. And it's this self-centric, empire-building, brick by brick by brick, I'm building my own empire mentality. And it's pervasive in the society. And I believe there, that we have so many empty seats in this place because there are so many people in our county who are worshiping at the altar of this. The Tower of Babel is work harder mentality. Egypt, Pharaoh, all that is work harder mentality. It's all about getting ahead, my goals, my success, getting rich and wealthy so I can retire in Florida. That is the mentality. And it's pervasive in the church to the point where our worship becomes simply, I'm tipping my hat to God, I'm doing my righteous thing, but then I just go about my day and I seek my own pleasure. And God sees right through all of it. 
Look at this. This is what he's talking about, 58, in, in chapter 58. Verse 4, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Have we seen any fighting among the church? Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice hurt, to be heard on high. Basically, God's saying, if you act like this, don't expect to be heard. Is such a fast that I choose that a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed, to spread sackcloth, to look so worshipful? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? And then God responds with what he wants. This is what God wants. Is not this the fast I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Do you hear the heart of God who hears daily the sarach of the oppressed? Verse 7, is it not to share your bread with the hungry or, and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Verse 7, I'm going to go back to that one again. I don't want to pass back by that quickly here. Bring the homeless poor into your house. This isn't going out. This is bringing in. Bring them in. What a high standard. What a high standard. And then, verse 8, shall your light break forth like the dawn. And look at this verse. And your healing shall spring up speedily. I wonder if the work harder mentality is causing us to be sick. But when we enter into becoming a kingdom of priests and a holy nation living by God's values, it says healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteous shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then you shall call. You shall cry out to God and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water where waters do not fail. And he keeps going. Verse 12, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Hmm. I said before, Genesis 1 starts with this one act that turns into a murder, that turns into this whole society just spread with the yeast of sin. But in the same way, if you become a part of the kingdom of priests and a holy nation, do you see these verses? It spreads kingdom in the same way. Light and shalom and healing. Hmm. Do you see the paths before? Oh. So, I'm going to wrap with this. Um, I was in California this week on Monday and Tuesday. Um, two stories. One, I uh, got to the airport and I took um, like an Uber to where I was going. 
and I got in the car, and I met this guy named Antoine. Antoine's, you know, and it's weird. Like, when you go, you go to California, they all drive, like, these Lincolns and Lexuses when you, like, get an Uber. These really nice cars, right? And so you get in, and uh, Antoine's driving. Antoine, he's a black man. He is very gregarious, very extroverted. And he's like, hey, man, how's it going? He's just talking to me, right? I'm like, hey, good to, you know, getting to know each other. And it was raining. Did you hear about the rain in California? It was just raining. And so um, he's like, oh, man, it's so good to have the rain because I'm not dodging homeless people. And we're, like, driving to, like, Beverly Hills area. So it's like, I'm like, really? It's like, homeless people? He's like, oh, man, it's crazy. I feel like people are just dumping them off from all over the country in our area. And it's, they're all over. But when it rains, it's easier to drive. And then he says, but like the Bible says, the poor will always be with you. And I'm like, who is this guy? Antoine, right? So I go, cool, you referenced the Bible. Yeah, you know, he's like, I'm a spiritual man. And uh, I, used to, I used to be homeless. I'm like, okay, wow. And he's like, but, but God freed me from that. And now my whole purpose right now is to rebuild my life so I can turn around and then help other people get out of homelessness. <laughs> and I knew I was preaching this this Sunday. And I'm like, that's it. What Antoine's doing, he's, being, he's entering into the kingdom of priests. He knows where he's been delivered from. And now he wants to go and deliver others from that. He wants to be a priest for God, showing the people that he came from, the community he came from, what God is like. That God hears the cry of the oppressed. And he comes and he saves the afflicted. I was like, it was one of those moments where it's like, okay, I got, you got my attention, God. The second story is this. So when I was there at this, doing my job thing, um, I met this guy, and he stood out to me in the office. And he was wearing like a, a mask, like an N95 mask, which is kind of unusual. Like no one else was wearing masks, just this guy. And he looked miserable. And it just caught my attention, and so I was talking to him. And then later on, a few hours later, I actually go into his office. And I walked into his office, and his office is covered with, like, printouts of two things. It's, like, line by line. The left side says number of COVID cases. And then he was handwriting the number. Number of deaths. And he was handwriting the number for every single week for two-plus years. And he posted them up in his office. It was very bizarre. And at first, I was kind of like laughing, like, what is, what is this guy? This guy? This guy's a freak. Like, what is this? But I missed it, you guys. Like, Antoine got my attention. God got my attention. He's like, you're preaching on this Sunday. You think I'd be ready to go, geared up. Instead, I just observed. I observed a man who... I don't know what was going on. I didn't get to ask him a question about what, what's, what's, what's going on, man. It was right in front of me, an invitation to be a priest, and I missed it. Because I was thinking about something else. I was thinking about, i got to achieve my goals. I'm here for a reason. i got to get this done. You know, it's going to be awkward. But I, man, looking back now, walking into the office, I was in this place where there was personal pain right in front of me. It seemed as though. And I didn't inquire about it. I missed it. I'm ashamed of it. 
But I bring it up today so that you don't miss it either. God is hearing the cry of the oppressed, the sarach of the oppressed. And he's calling you to be a priest and a holy nation wherever you are, in front of whoever you are. And when you enter into that, then your light will shine and healing will come. The walls will be rebuilt and you will see the renewal of all things through you. Will you stand with me? We don't have a last song. We're just going to pray and end. A little unusual, I know, but um, we'll have a few of us up here for prayer. If you'd like to receive prayer for anything at all, it doesn't really matter. But I want to remind you that the vision that God has given this church is that we would be a people who would seek those in the culture, seek those who are afflicted by anti-kingdom and bring them into kingdom. Seek those who are afflicted by Egypt and to be a kingdom of priests to bridge the gap, to be a holy nation to bring them into the kingdom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, come now and do only what you can do and speak to every heart that's hear my voice now, Lord. And I pray that you would invite them personally, somehow, in some way, into what you want for them, Lord. Remind them of who they are. They are your treasured possessions. Remind them that you say, I am yours and you are mine. And help us all, God, to detach, to unplug from this culture of work harder, this culture of empire building for ourselves, and enter into the kingdom of priests. That we would be a holy nation in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our homes, and our jobs, help us to have courage and not be like me, rather step into it, Lord. Thank you for those that do this all the time, that they are meeting with people on a regular basis, and they are representing you and showing them what God is like. God, I pray you would just continue to empower those that are already doing this, this is already going on. Lord, empower them. Pour your spirit out into them. Give them words. Give them scripture. Give them what they need to help others break out of whatever oppression that they're under. God, may, they, may their lights shine brighter and brighter and brighter. And Lord, may it be an encouragement for the rest of us, Lord, to also be a priest. Be a holy nation. Help us to stand out for you. Help us to not insulate ourselves or isolate ourselves. Help us to not focus ourselves on ourselves. Help us to, to not just make spirituality this personal, private thing, but rather public. Thank you for this reminder of Egypt and the Israelites, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name, the church said...
Amen. Grace and peace. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. Go Vikings.